and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and fan castings, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have got a puppety, puppety, puppet, puppet episode for you. I don't know. Fuck it. Uh, (laughs) Puppet, fuck it. But (laughs) we are doing... Pretty much a Jim Henson episode, really. We are going to discuss the 1982 film The Dark Crystal along with Muppet Babies, the cartoon that ran from 1984 to 1991. And we're going to do a fan casting that really has nothing to do with Jim Henson, but Frank Oz ties in a little bit. Not really. Loosely. Yeah, whatever. Fuck it. That's a stretch. Uh, (laughs) Basically, we wanted to recast or do our own fan casting of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Straight up. Knights of the Old Republic, that old Xbox game, Mm -hmm. is one of my all-time favorite games. I know John loves it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And funny enough, both of us just kind of re-found it on mobile. And so they kind of ported it from Xbox to uh, both iPhone and Android. And so I've been playing the shit out of it. And it just makes me so happy. I mean, that just pulls me back from (laughs) playing a lot in high school uh, for that game. Fantastic game. And we are going to do uh, a casting if they were going to make a movie out of that video game storyline. So very excited about that. But for now, I would love if John could take us back to 1982. 1982, Oscars for that year best picture best director and best actor all went for the same film um, and that is a great film it's a long one so it's a haul but it's gandhi oh yeah it's yeah. good film um ben kingsley won for best actor best director and best picture went to the same person because he was also the producer and that was uh richard attenborough oh who yeah is, uh his brother is david attenborough which if you've seen any of the um Earth, Planet, uh, Planet Earth, Earth yeah. uh, series. He's very famous uh, British yeah. uh, conservationist. But, but you should know Richard Attenborough because he spared no expense, John. That's, absolutely. <laughs> he's all Richard Attenborough is also known as an actor and, and most famously for probably everybody. Yeah. It's uh, as John Hammond in Jurassic Park. Absolutely spectacular design. Spared no expense. The movie was released on December 17th of 1982 and the Hot 100 single of that week is a great song. And that's Man Eater by Hall and Oates. Notes is a band that I kind of forget how many good songs they have. Yes. But Man Eater is like the one that I just <laughs> cling on to, just like, fuck yeah, Man Eater. My, my favorite for them is actually probably Private Eyes. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. But Man Eater is definitely up there. A couple of other just weird things, fun things that happened in 1982. And this is something I actually remember hearing about uh, many, many years later. Uh, in Los Angeles, a man named Larry Walters used a lawn chair and weather balloons to ascend to 15,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, and his plan was he took a BB gun and he was going to just shoot out the balloons one at a time in order to get back down. Unfortunately, on the way up, he lost both his glasses and the BB gun. <laughs> I do. I do think I've heard of this story as well. While he, when he landed, I think he hit some pow, uh, power lines and he caused an outage and was fined fifteen hundred dollars. 
Which yeah. to me, said fifteen hundred dollars seems pretty lax. Yeah, exactly. He got maybe, up pretty easy. Maybe I'm just thinking two thousand eighteen dollars. Yeah. And just kind of another weird thing. Uh, in 1982, we had a World's Fair in Knoxville, which netted a profit. Are you ready for this, Adam? Of fifty-seven dollars. Ooh. <laughs> the World's Fair. Netted the World's $57? Fair netted a profit of fifty-seven dollars. Wow. It's probably why it didn't last. I don't. That yeah. might. If that wasn't the last one, it was certainly one of them. Uh huh. So that's uh, some interesting things that happened in 1982. Before we get into the Dark Crystal, I just want to go over a fun little thing. John actually mentioned this in last week's episode. But in case you guys don't know, we have a Patreon now and we're very, very excited about that. You can find it at patreon.com backslash blastpastcast or just search for Blast From Our Past podcast. We have four different tiers and we think they're very cute. (laughs) Uh, We have our lowest tier for $1 a month. You can become a Muppet Baby. And for that, you will get our goodest gracious and we'll call you out on the podcast. The next tier is for $3 a month and that is to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And for that, you will be allowed to get our bonus content that we're going to put out once a month, uh, which we are actually going to start doing. We've got a goal. If we can get to 20 patrons, 20 patrons of any tier, and once we can get 20 patrons, we will start bonus content, and we're really excited to try and give you guys even more nostalgia. Uh, The next tier after that is... A G.I. Joe, be a real American hero and pledge $5 a month. For that, you can recommend a TV show or movie for us to review, as well as get the things that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Muppet Babies get. And our highest tier is to become a Golden Girl. Thank you for being a friend. You'll be pledging $15 a month for us. If you do that, then you could have the chance to actually join us on an episode. Pick your topic and we will would love to talk with you if you are one of our Golden Girls. I do want to call out, we had our first patron who joined us after we mentioned last week, or maybe they saw it on Instagram or whatever. We're super excited. Thank you so much, Lazbreath. You joined as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Uh, I really hope we can get up to 20 patrons so that way we can spend some extra time and really try and get you guys some more content. Anyway, thank you guys very much. Do know this is not adjusting our regular content. We're going to be putting that out. And any money that we get from Patreon, we're going to be using towards trying to build the podcast more. We want to get more nostalgia out there. All right, without further ado, let's get into Dark Crystal. All right, The Dark Crystal from 1982. This film was directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz collaboratively. Uh, It was written by Jim Henson and David O'Dell. David O'Dell uh, wrote Masters of the Universe, that piece of trash that we talked about. Let's try not to hold that against him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He also wrote the Supergirl movie from 1984, which... That is something we're going to talk about soon. I put that on the list. I know you're a big fan of that movie. And I haven't seen... I've seen it, like, once a long, long time ago. Yeah. So... We had it. We had that movie recorded onto a VHS off of like an free HBO or something like that, and I watched the shit out of that movie. Yeah. Uh, and then he also wrote uh, for the Muppet Show, and that's probably where he, you know, got close with Jim mm-hmm. Henson and Frank Oz. Uh, this film stars mostly Jim Henson and Frank Oz as the puppeteers, <laughs> as well as various puppeteers. Uh, the voice actors really aren't anyone too huge, no one to to make a stink about. So I'm not even going to mention them. But you know, they did fine for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music. In The Dark Crystal was by Trevor Jones, who's done a couple other solid films. You could have probably guessed he did The Labyrinth, mm-hmm. uh, because that's another Jim Henson production. Right. 
And another one we will eventually talk about when we want to bring up, you know, an- another dual Jim Henson movie, <laughs> movie episode. We will for sure. Right. Uh, but he also did Arachnophobia, which is a fantastic film. Highly, uh, it, I think, underrated, but kind of forgotten about. But Arachnophobia is really good. It's sort of like one of those movies that's so cheesy, it's awesome. Yeah. In- uh, instead really. of being so cheesy, it's bad. It really, I feel like, made the genre of comedy horror and like took it to another level. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. Um, he also did another movie that took things to another level, uh, Cliffhanger, that was just so atrociously bad it was bad. Uh, that's that Sylvester Stallone movie that was not good. And The Last of the Mohicans. Solid movie. Oh, so, yeah, great one. He did the music for all of those. This film was edited by Ralph Kemplin. I don't really bring up the editors all that much, but Ralph Kemplin has been, he was a, a huge editor for, he lasted, he was an editor for 50 years. Wow. He His first feature or his first credit in editing was from 1932. Wow. Yeah. So he was editing all the way from 32 to 82 and the Dark Crystal was his last film that he edited. Wow. But he, I mean, he didn't pass away. He was still alive for mm-hmm. a while after that, but it's just impressive. I mean, he ends his career on Dark Crystal. Interesting. Right. But he also did The African Queen, which oh. is a classic with yeah. Humphrey Bogart. Uh, the Day of the Jackal, which was, we probably know better, the remake of The Jackal with ba- uh, oh, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, but that he did the original editing for that one. And and tons of other credits, but, you know, yeah. being a, a film editor for that long, yeah, it's pretty freaking incredible. <laughs> Uh, and that was back in the day when you had to like actually cut film <laughs> and like you had to hunch over like this moviola and like uh, really intense stuff. I like sitting at a computer. Like it's easy for me. <laughs> Nonlinear editing systems are an amazing thing. Uh, and now everybody can be an editor. So yeah. <laughs> my fat ass can do it and I love it. <laughs> One other thing I want to mention about this film I'd seen clips. I'd never seen the full movie of The Dark Crystal oh, until really? watching it for this. Oh, wow. When I was in college, the student center every so often would show a mo- just an, an older movie on the, the sort of small movie theater mm-hmm. screen they had in there. And one time they did a free screening of The Dark Crystal, and I went to go see it in theater, mm-hmm. which I'm sure I'd seen it all the way through at, at least once before that. But that was a fun experience, actually, going into a theater yeah. with, a, with a group of kids my age who loved the movie. So... That's sort is. of fun. It is fun. I mean, even even if you know a movie so well, if you can get that movie up on the big screen, even if it's like a small big screen or whatnot, right. it is it is a different experience and it's it's special. Yeah. So very cool. All right. So we're gonna just dive into the film. Uh, we have this narrator telling us all about this crystal, and there was a crack that happened, and then two races uh, or two species or whatever kind of came out of it: the Skeksis and the Mystics. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the way of the Skeksis. As they ravage the land, so too they learn to draw new life from the sun. Today, once more, they will replenish themselves, cheat death again, through the power of their source, their treasure, their fate, the dark crystal. you know anything about Jim Henson and Frank Oz and like their features, you know, things like Labyrinth, which comes out much later than this, about I think 86 or something around that. I can't remember. Yeah. This is this is a hardcore fantasy film. Like this is not, you know, here's some puppets around in the real world, you know, like Muppets Take Manhattan or something. Right. You know, this is complete. Uh, Jim Henson and David O'Dell just pulled 
random stuff out of their ass completely. Like, you know, they've created this entire world. You right. know, like Lord of the Rings, like Star Wars, where whatever. Yeah. They, this is full-on fantasy. And so there's just a lot of weird shit. Uh, and that's just kind of the part of fantasy of in mm-hmm. creating a whole world. There are no rules. You can create every rule. Right. If a crystal cracks, you can create two different species. Some shit happens. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Right. That's what's going to be happening when we talk about this film. But, you know, I think for kids who get into it, you know, they, they can dive into that world very easily. Um, but anyway, so we have our Skeksis. They have ruled for a thousand years, but there's only a few of them left. There's only ten. Mm-hmm. And one of them is dying. And one of them is dying, exactly. He's super old. Uh, <laughs> if they've been around for a thousand years, yeah, he's yeah. definitely super old. Um, and they want to use the dark crystal uh, to basically to escape death and replenish themselves. And that's how they use the crystal and how, mm-hmm. you know, there's this whole thing about the sun, three suns lining up. And uh, there's a prophecy that if, you know, the, the shard doesn't get back into it, then the Skeksis will rule forever. Right. And the Skeksis look... They, like vultures. Yes, the heads are vultures. Their bodies... Well, their bodies in their clothing are just like these big, you know, yeah, they wear lumbering these things. weird, elaborate yeah. robes, which obviously are hiding performers underneath. Yeah. Which probably aids on that. Yes. Uh, and, and at this point, we see light from the crystal is like shooting into the vulture's eyes. Kind of just a weird scene. I really don't yeah. know what's going on at this point. I'm not, not quite sure what is that, you know, what the purpose of it is. Yeah, especially since I haven't seen the movie before. <laughs> just like, okay, <laughs> we got some purple light going into the vulture eyes. Because it doesn't seem to be doing anything to them. Not really. I assume it's kind of replenishing their life, but not really. We see that later. Yeah, we see that later. So I don't know what the fuck it is. Now we cut to the mystics, who are these big, not sloth, but like, I don't know how to, turtle-ish... Kind of turtleish dinosaur-looking things with is it four arms or three arms? Uh, I think four. They had no. They had four arms. I okay, think four. They, they had yeah. like yeah, two. You know, two uppers and two, two lowers. Up, yeah, uh, but think, they're big, kind of like hunched over and like very slow lumbering. Right. Yeah, they had they, long tails. They looked good. I liked the look of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the puppetry in this film is fantastic. Right. It's for, mostly fantastic, actually. I'll go back and say <laughs> mostly fantastic. Yes. It, especially on the big characters. I would say the Skeksis and the Mystics all look pretty damn good. Yeah. So we're at we're with the Mystics right now, and apparently there's only ten of them left, mm-hmm. and they have a real old ass one who's dying as well. They tell us about this chosen one who has to start his journey, and he is a Gelfling. You know, just, you know, you hear just like any other fantasy, right. you hear about different species or whatnot. It could right. be a, a halfling, or, you know, a Hobbit yeah. or uh, whatever. a Jedi or whatever. Yeah, whatever you want it to be. So this is a Gelfling. You know, we get the story that he is a chosen one. He was, you know, he lives among the mystics because his family was killed by the Skeksis and he has to start his journal, his journey. Uh, The one thing about the mystics that they always seem to be doing is if they're not just like sitting around not doing shit, they're singing in unison. (laughs) Oh, well, it's kind of like it's kind of reminiscent of uh, I think it's called tube and throat singing. Oh, yeah. A little bit. And it's not, it's not, it's not in unison, and it's not in harmony per se. It's kind of in a dissonance, mm-hmm. which is actually I thought was pretty cool. Uh, that it was that it was not, that they didn't try to make it into like a harmony, or a, it's just sort of like everyone just kind of does their own their own tune, their own pitch. Yeah, but they do that for everything, and you know <laughs> they use the singing for right now. They're summoning the Gelfling. Gelfling. They use it later for. Confusing these guards. They use it later for <laughs> right. whatever. Whatever the fuck the mystics have to do, they're just going to sing at you. Well, the, 
maybe that's instead of casting spells, they don't have to say something. That's what yeah. they have to do. I, that must be it. So this Gelfling has to find the crystal shard that was broken off a thousand years ago. Uh, and to do that, they tell him to go see Agra, who is like this all-knowing kind of person. And honestly, the, just like the idea of Agra reminded me of Morla, the big turtle in Never Ending Story. Kind of. Kind of. Not not exactly yeah, the I, same, but the, the concept. The not... concept of you have to go find the all-knowing person. Right. And they, the, the weird thing that I didn't like about this is the mystics even said Agra has the crystal shard. Right. So they know where the fuck the shard has been this entire time. <laughs> Just get the shard and put it back. Right. Like, you could have done this at any time. Why are you waiting till now when the suns are almost <laughs> together to do this? That was fucking stupid. I, don't, I didn't get that. Yeah, they could have gotten the shard and protected it or gotten it and put it together or, you know, had yeah. whatever. I'll, 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 uh, I'll play devil's advocate and maybe they only just found out that she had it. Maybe. It didn't sound like it. It sounded like they knew. Like, oh, hey, by the way, Agra has it. <laughs> Go there. It's like, oh, okay. They, you know, they could have said we just found out. Whatever. By the way, I, I kind of want to make this story. This has n- nothing specific to do with the movie, but so if, if you don't know what a gelfling looks like, it basically looks like an elf. Yeah, elf with like a jackalish face or something. Yes, yeah. Slightly, so uh, at some point in my life, I actually went to culinary school. During one of our breaks, a bunch of us were sitting around at a table, and there was a girl who went to the school who had just had, she had, pecu- not peculiar, she just had a very distinctive face. You know, some people just have a distinctive facial features. She was at the table, and she walked away, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I kind of said this out loud, too. I'm like, she reminds me of something, and I cannot put my finger on it. And someone else goes, yeah, I kind of I hear, I kind of see that, too. And then it hit me and goes, she looks like a gelfling. And the other one's like, oh, my God, you're right. Because <laughs> oh she did. She had that, she, like, yeah. she had sort of an elongated face. And I'm not saying she was ugly, because she was not ugly. She was actually very pretty. It was just a distinctive facial feature. Uh-huh. And from then on out, I referred to her as Gelfling, and she had no idea what it was. <laughs> oh, God. She probably hated you for that, but... I didn't see her all that often. Okay. We, she was, like, two classes below me, so okay. we didn't have a lot of the same classes. Gotcha. That is funny, though. So, and the Gelflings in, in, in this movie are kind of small, similar enough to Hobbits, but, they, I mean... They're thinner. Somewhat, yeah, they're, they're thin, they're little, uh, they don't really have many powers, at least the male Gelfling doesn't have powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the male the male gelflings are worthless. <laughs> other than sticking a it's, shard into a fucking bigger crystal, that's right. all they can do. Yeah, but it's kind of like uh, male black widows. Yeah, yeah they, they don't, don't really do much they don't except do for shit. get their heads taken off and die. Yeah. <laughs> what a life! <laughs> Sometimes I wish that was my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, honey. Uh, all right, let's cut back to the Skeksis. Who? Yeah, the emperor. Their big emperor is dying. Uh, and he just he looks ridiculously old uh, and and evil. And when he dies, he kind of crumbles in his death. <laughs> but he withers away. Um, and kind of funny enough, uh, the around right at this time as well, the old guy from the Mystics also dies. Curious, very very curious. You know, as Jen's starting his journey, he's he's off on his own. I do want to point out 
<laughs> Speaking of up being alone, there's a really, really stupid line I thought when <laughs> when he started going off. So he's off to start to take his to take his journey, and he says, "I'm not ready to go alone." All right, alone then. <laughs> and then he goes, <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you you changed his mind so quickly. Yeah, I don't know. It was just it, that line bothered me. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready to go alone. All right. Alone, then. I mean, I see the point. He's trying to be introspective about it. Yeah. But it, it does happen at such a quick rate that it it, it seems pointless. <laughs> yes. Right now, uh, the Skeksis are having an internal battle uh, where they are trying to figure out who should be the next emperor, and they're, like, fighting over it. They have this whole thing they call Trial by Stone, uh, where they take swords, and they hit this stone. Well, at first you'd think it's just like a battle to the death because these swords come yeah. out, and the stone is there, but you don't really notice it, and they take these really elaborate swords away, and then you notice the stone with cuts in it, and yeah. you think that they're going to like try and kill each other, but they're just hitting a stone. Yeah, which it was a little bit of a bait-and-switch because, yeah, you definitely thought, okay, they're going to battle, they're going to fight each other, and then they just start whacking a stone, uh, and this one Skeksy knocks the stone pretty much in two, in twain. <laughs> he, he broke it in twain. Uh, the loser guy named Chamberlain, uh, he's stripped of his clothing yeah. and banished, which I kind of thought to be a poor custom because there's only 10 of them left. Now there's only nine of them left. Right. And so, okay, so if this guy wanted to be leader, as opposed to just like kicking him out, you know, like right. they're going to need the power of the Skeksis. Right. No, but they say, fuck you, get out of here. Maybe if there was 100 of them, that'd be yes. less than when there's 10. And uh, I can tell you this, the one distinctive thing that I not necessarily quote, but perform, I guess is the more appropriate term for this, that I associate with the movie is the sound that the Chamberlain makes all the time. Hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he does make that a lot. That weird sort of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't even know how to describe Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, so he's off on his own, and you can you can tell that he's going to play a, I don't, know, I don't want to call it an integral part because it's really not, but he's going to no, gonna play a part. He, in the film. they seem they focus on him a lot. Out of yeah. all the Skeksis, they focus on him the yes. most. Yes, so you know, yeah, he's the most important Skeksis in this story. Yes. Anyway, the new emperor looks into the dark crystal and he sees Jen. Uh, you know, Jen R. Gelfling, and uh, apparently, you know, they, they've all heard about the prophecy as well. Apparently this prophecy gets around. Every, <laughs> you know, it's not just something that the mystics have held together and be like, oh, hey, shit, we should not, probably not tell people how we're going <laughs> to win this battle eventually, but the Skeksis all know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, to help get Jen, which then kind of in retrospect helps explain why the Skeksis killed all of Jen's parents and killed all of the Gelflings because they were afraid of mm-hmm. knowing that a Gelfling was going to fulfill this prophecy. Right. And so they killed all of the Gelflings, you know, what they thought was all of the Gelflings. Right. In preparation to not uh, have this prophecy. Did you ever see the Chronicles of Riddick? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw like the, I saw, saw Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick and I didn't see any more of them. Yeah. So I remember that movie, the the main bad guy is said to have killed off all the Furians uh-huh. except for Riddick. Yeah. And so I wonder if that, they got that idea oh, from this. It could be, yeah. So he's 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 our Gelfling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would have been a pretty badass Gelfling if we had. If we had, uh, yeah, if, if we had it been Riddick instead of Jen. <laughs> yeah, that would have been really cool. 
that would have been badass. I would have liked that maybe a little bit better. Um, <laughs> the movie would have been over way too soon. Yeah. So the emperor sends off these crab things. I don't know what they. I I, I just called them crab people. Like yeah. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember what their names are. Yeah. But I refer to them as crab people. So cut to Jen. He's trying to find Agra, and he gets tangled up in like these vines, uh, which Agra is kind of there. Um, so he he finds Agra pretty easily and enters uh, her lab. She's kind of a fun character. I do kind of like her. Um, her puppetry is good. She's kind of big. She's got a big wide head, mm-hmm. uh, one eye that kind of moves on its own uh, when she needs to. Uh, she's funny, but she's very harsh and yeah. kind of like gruff and whatnot. She reminds me more of what we will see in Labyrinth. Yeah. The type of puppet and the sort yeah. of the type of attitude. And I think is a good balancing character for all the other things because, you you know, none of them, none of those of them are in really that funny yeah they're really or at not. least not intentionally funny um yeah, I, I can i can tell you jen was jen was pretty funny to me every now and, then. <laughs> uh, and also the way that jen moved just kind of like hopping around and just like the puppetry on jen actually kind of pissed not pissed me off but i i found it subpar compared to a lot of the other puppetry oh okay yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure the gelflings were marionettes so. yeah probably that's probably why where the bigger ones were humans inside of them yeah or other stuff, stuff like that is a little bit more easy to move animatronics and yeah a few something other Right. Where the Gelflings just looked a little sillier because they were just kind of like popping around. But yeah, marionettes make sense. Oh, and this is a callback to something. I believe the crab people were called Gartham. Gartham. Okay. All right. They're going to be crab people to me. <laughs> and in Augur's lab, she has this big old planetary machine, and she's the one who tells us about the great conjunction. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Uh, which is the three suns aligning and is kind of spurring the potential end of the world or the beginning. Uh, (laughs) It's the start, the end of something or the start of something. There's this whole scene where Jen has to pick the correct shard. You know, kind of reminded me of Last Crusade a little bit. (laughs) Mm. Eh, Not really. I mean, Last Crusade was 89, way longer, way later than this. But same kind of thing. Where Jen had to had to make sure they picked the right shard to go into the dark crystal, and to do so, he played a note on his flute. The correct shard lights up. I don't know. They don't really pull that flute back like anything. I, it's, it doesn't. Other than he he's seen playing it. Yeah. Once or twice, but not in context of anything. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't feel like music or that flute really did anything special to the dark crystal. Maybe the singing from uh, only, from I... the mystics, but like. In general, it's not like the crystal or the shard has anything to do with music. Well, maybe it responds to frequency. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> maybe. You know, then it's, this was the writer of uh, Masters of the Universe where <laughs> that whole portal time travel thing or like the, the yeah, the big the space traveler or whatever, the teleporter yeah. was based off music. That's true. So I think, I think David O'Dell loves him <laughs> some music. Loves him some music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But right at this time, the crab people bust in. Uh, and they wreck havoc, and uh, Jen escapes, but uh, Agra can't, and we kind of assume Agra might be dead right. at this point. Well, um, we see the home like yeah. basically explode. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's on massive fire. Yeah, and we kind of see at this point we see Chamberlain, the uh, Skeksy who got banished, uh, is following Jen mm-hmm. and just kind of like trailing from a distance. Just kind right. of yeah. Now the Mystics just start a long walk to the castle. They're like, all right, I guess the prophecies happened. We should walk towards the castle. That's it. <laughs> They're walking. At this point, I kind of thought to myself, what's up with these species? <laughs> these. So just because, you know, I, I believe in evolution and 
you know, and also the reproduction. I really haven't seen too many female characters. Like, there are there sexes, like, in the Mystics, not really. Uh, in the Skeksis, I think I saw a female. I don't maybe? think so. Maybe. See, you don't well, know. Well, because, there's there's I mean, one who had a lot of makeup on, but maybe it was just kind of like a clownish one. Yeah. No, because I, I see the, the Skeksis and the Mystics, as we obviously learned towards the end, or, yeah. or are two halves of one species. Yeah. You know, I, I to them, I, there is no, there is no um, reproduction. Reproduction, because no. they, they, they just exist. Yeah. They exist because they were split from one, from uh, something that already existed. Which I didn't know at the time. At, right. at first, like right now, I'm, my brain is racking because I'm like, what the fuck? How can these things reproduce? There's only ten of them anyway. What the fuck's going on? They're all male. This is weird. And so, uh, so it bothered me. But yes, maybe, af- afterwards it makes maybe sense. Maybe they're uh, asexual reproduction. Asexual, yeah. asexual reproduction, or yeah. maybe they're all both sexes. Maybe could be. I might have to ask Frank Oz because Jim Henson's passed. Yes, but maybe maybe Frank Oz or David O'Dell, if he's still alive, there you go. knows the answers. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll probably have to tweet at them. This is important. <laughs> That'll end well. Yeah. <laughs> We cut back to Jen, who's wandering in this forest-like area, and he can tell someone's following him, and it's a female Gelfling. Holy shit. I guess there are sexes. That kind of <laughs> popped right up in this one. Um, so the, he's not the only Gelfling left. There's this female Gelfling named Kira who's with there, with uh, who's also around, uh, who is you know, hanging and hiding out in this podlings uh, mm-hmm. group, I, you know, pod people, whatever. Which we see the podlings earlier. Yeah. In the Skeksis, they're kind of like little slave. Yes. Things they kind of they've, we don't we learn find out later why this is, but they have like whited out eyes and mm-hmm. they look old and stringy and yeah, they uh, they look very much like a, a Jim Henson creation. Like, yeah. Kind of like like you might see them in Fraggle Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they could just be in like the background of Fraggle right. Rock or maybe even like you know in the Muppets in a big group and yeah. it's hard to tell uh, what they are, but. The Gelflings touch, and we get this kind of weird history of each of their lives. We kind of get, like, flashbacks of, of them and kind of, yeah, where, where they've been or where they got to now. Mm-hmm. Kira, at this point, we see she can talk to animals mm-hmm. and plants and shit. Like, she can, like, sing to them or, or something like that. Right. She's powerful. Like, she's right. awesome. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, I honestly, at this point, I'm like, shit, she's probably the Gelfling that the prophecy was talking about. Not this right. fucking Gen guy. Right. He's worthless. <laughs> Here is the badass. Right. The Skeksis are now having this weird dinner scene where the kind of the crab people return and they've got Agra with them. Um, so she's still alive. Right. So, okay, cool. She's kind of fun character. So, honestly, she's probably my favorite character in the film. <laughs> um, and she was just captured. But and she talks shit to the Skeksis, which is what she she is a she's quick and she's yeah. sassy. And, yeah. I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So now they want to send these what they call crystal bats to go send out to find the Gelfling. So now they're sending not just crabs but also bats uh, <laughs> off to off to find them. And one of them flies over Jen and Kira. I think Kira shoots it down with like a slingshot or something, yeah. which again just shows how badass she is because <laughs> Jen doesn't do shit. Yeah, but Jen just plays his flute. Yeah, that's <laughs> all he does. <laughs> But the crystal bat was still able to see them. The Skeksis can apparently see through the crystal bats. Uh, but so now they know that there's two Gelflings and that they're still on their journey. Mm-hmm. Kira now takes Jen to her adoptive clan of podlings. They have a little dinner and party scene and they got we got some whole music going on. <laughs> It's kind of it's cute music, cute little scene. Uh, but the crab people come and they wreck the party again. Jeez, these fucking crab people. I know. 
Party poopers. Mm-hmm. And they crack, they capture a whole bunch of the little podlings. And uh, one of the crab people is about to attack Jen and Kira. And then Chamberlain comes in right. and stops them and kind of saves the day for them at least a little bit. Yeah. So we're kind of, at this point, we're kind of not sure if Chamberlain is good or bad or if he's, you know, if he changed his ways or whatnot. But Jen is just kind of like mad at the journey. I guess this is a little bit of his low point mm-hmm. and he's upset at, at his prophecy and he throws the shard away. Like he just, he just like chucks it somewhere. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> but in the morning, Kira grabs the shard. So that really wasn't anything. He just kind of shows that, I don't know. The whole point of that scene just, I guess just shows that Jen's at a low point or something. He's throwing a hissy fit. Yeah, pretty much because Kira goes and grabs the shard and she's badass. Yeah. They now go to this area where the Gelflings used to be and kind of where they used to inhabit. Um, and they were just killed by the Skeksis long ago. And they find some writings on the wall. They see, mm-hmm. like, the etchings of the prophecy. And Chamberlain shows up. And right now he's trying to, he tries to convince the Gelflings that they should all go to the castle to make peace. <laughs> this part makes me laugh because of how he says his lines. Because he's like, peace, 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 please. please. He's funny. I do, yeah. Yeah. He's funny in that regard. Please, please. Yes, please. So now Kira uses her more badass powers again and calls these big fucking, like, what I think what they called them, land striders or something. Right. They're these weird, tall, very, like, people on stilts. I don't know. Yeah. Like, not quite horses on stilts, but they're kind of like that. They hop on them, which how they get on top of them, I have no idea. But but Jen gets up on the onto the land strider. Yeah. And they, that way they can go to the castle faster. And at this point, the, Kex, the Skeksis... Use the dark crystal to remove the essence of the little pod people. So here's where we see mm-hmm. them actually like turning. Like when when the pod people are you know normal, they they look you know they have dark eyes, they have you know regular looking hair and right. kind of skin, and we see like this machine and the use of the dark crystal to absorb the life essence of these people, and also it kind of like steals their brain power and just kind of turns them into slaves. Uh, So, yeah, so that's not cool. And actually creates a liquid essence that the emperor drinks Mm -hmm. to become younger. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't feel we get much. uh, There's not, like, one real bad guy in this film. Like, if they should have made the emperor more of a big bad or Mm -hmm. something, like, you know, he's just, he's pretty much just like every other Skeksy, yeah. in, in my opinion. And, you know, with... with they really, he really doesn't do anything to differentiate himself from the rest of them. Yeah. And I know the Skeksis are the bad people, but, like, in the fact of having an emperor, he should be the biggest bad, and he should be, like, super evil, and it's, like, one person for everybody to root against. Mm-hmm. But he's just like everybody else, and it's really, you're just rooting for, rooting against all the Skeksis. But, yeah. I don't know, I just thought that was kind of weird. I think they should have amplified his evilness even more. Mm-hmm. Here, Jen and Kira catch up to the crab people, and the big land striders are kicking the crabs. It's kind of a funny scene where they kick over one of the crabs, yeah. and he's on his back. Uh, but Although they are definitely at a disadvantage, I think, yes. being so high up. Yeah, being so high. You can't really do shit because the crabs kind of overwhelm them. Yeah. And they just cut the feet out from yeah, running. Yeah, exactly, and they get, they get taken down. Luckily, the Gelflings get the pod people out, and so they get all of them. They're escaped. Kira shows uh, at this point that not only can she sing to animals and shoot things with uh, a slingshot really well, she also has wings, <laughs> and she glides them down, uh, you know, her and Jen, down this fucking cliff. What the fuck? That, that's awesome. <laughs> Jen can't do shit. Yeah. She plays a little flute. Yeah. 
a little shitty flute. Wow. <laughs> and he's the hero? Right. Bullshit. <laughs> they find uh, a backdoor entrance to the castle, uh, all the while Chamberlain's still kind of following them, yeah. basically. Um, and he kind of confronts them in this cave. It's kind of funny. He ends up getting stabbed by Jen. Jen, like, stabs him with, uh, I think with the, the crystal. crystal shard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what is interesting here, another little thing, as Chamberlain's hand bleeds, one of the mystics, who's just kind of still on their slow walk, looks at his hand, and his hand is bleeding as well. Mm-hmm. So it just further shows that for someone like me at this point, it's just like, okay, these two creatures are... Um, Connected. Co- yes, there's some, exactly. There's some connection. Chamberlain now brings Kira in front of the Skeksis. Uh, he's trying to really his whole plan that we find out this way. He's trying to curry favor with right. the rest of, of the Skeksis and get get back into their good graces and kind of be reunited yeah. with his people. And the new emperor is happy about this, and he wants to drain Kira's essence first before he kills her. Mm. So that way he can get younger and feel younger and uh, you know suck out her life force. We see Augur there is imprisoned. Um, so they start this process of stealing her essence and Jen is like talking to her to try and fight it you know I guess they have like this connection as we kind of saw through their touch and Kira calls these animals to help her and all these weird little like lab rats and shit mm-hmm. <laughs> are trying to help her which the animals attack the Skeksis uh, that's there and he falls into the lava pit uh, you know that's of course of course the dark crystal surrounded by a lava pit right you know naturally that's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that Skeksis is dead so now they're down to Eight. There's a total of eight Skeksis mm-hmm. slash mystics because you see, again, you know, full confirmation now. One of the mystics just disappears, just vanishes while they're walking. So, yeah, 100% you see that connection is there. When one of the Skeksis dies, then the mystic dies with mm-hmm. it or vice versa. Yep. So the design of the mystics was based on a book that Brian uh, Froud had wrote called The Land of Froud. Brian Froud is, it was on the art department. He was a kind of conceptual designer okay. for this film. And uh, looking at the, the title, I mean, you can see the inspiration. Oh, wow. Yeah, 100%. So the, what he made them differently, though, was he gave, for the movie, he gave them four arms. That way he could retain his copyright to the book and Jim Henson could keep his copyright of the Mystic. So he changed them just enough so that, uh, you know, that he wouldn't have to give up his copyright to it. Okay. And it also said, and I didn't notice this, the Skeksis also have four arms. Their second arms are little chicken arms. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't see them at all. That's cool. Totally didn't see the four arms on. Yeah, on you probably only noticed it when they stripped Chamberlain off of his stuff. Yeah, it, I saw these spikes on him, and he's kind <clears> of a skinny, frail little guy. Yeah. So the little animals have, you know, attacked the Skeksis, or at least like that, that Skeksy who was trying to steal mm-hmm. Kira's essence. And so she's a little bit safer. But you kind of see, you saw that she got some paleness in her skin mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So she got a little bit of her life force taken away. Jen, at this point, falls into a crab people pit. Uh, and has to escape, which uh, he does uh, by going into the lava crystal area. And so now he's climbing up the lava pit cliff. So that doesn't seem smart, especially for a gelfling with no wings, but right. whatever. Um, and at this point, again, he sees the crystal and he's going to try and head towards it. Right. Uh, meanwhile, the big mystics, we see them singing. You know, they get to the front door and the couple crab people are like, fuck no, you're not coming through. And they just go, oh. Oh. 
and the crab people move. <laughs> so the all-powerful throat singing of the <laughs> mystics lets them in. Now the Skeksis are, they enter the crystal room pretty much just as Jen is about to put the shard back into the crystal. And, you know, the whole conjunction is about to happen. They notice Akira uh, also makes her way there too. They're kind of on these high points. The Skeksis notice the Gelflings and they freak the fuck out. <laughs> I do find it funny, like, whenever they, they're, like, so afraid of the Gelflings. The Gelflings are tiny little fucking things. I know. And they're just like, it's a Gelfling! Ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> they, go, they go nuts. I don't know, it's funny. But Jen, he jumps onto the crystal, but he loses the shard. Uh, and as Skeksy is about to pick it up, Kira's little dog thing. Yeah, we haven't really talked about it. She's got yeah. this little puffball right. little dog thing. Goes up. It's actually Frank Oz's idea. It's, it's Cute. I mean, I can see, like, probably kids loving that thing. Yeah. Uh, but it goes up and it bites the hand. And the part of the entire movie that made me laugh the hardest, the Skeksy, who just got his hand bit, takes the dog thing, chucks it down the lava pit. <laughs> and I, just, I was just like, holy shit. I wasn't expecting that. And I laughed my ass off. And I was just like, oh, shit. That bitch is dead. <laughs> Just like, damn, that dog, or whatever it was, whatever, you know, right. whatever animal thing-ish that was. And I thought it was hilarious. So Kira gets to the shard, and she throws the shard to Jen right as Askexi now stabs her. So Jen got fucking stabbed, and I definitely wasn't expecting that either. Right. So I was just like, holy fuck, we got the dog thrown down the lava pit, right. and Kira's now been stabbed to death. I'm just like... <laughs> All right, this is this is now this movie's getting a little real. <laughs> um, Why didn't we start with this? Yeah, exactly. That's intense shit. Uh, Jen puts the shard back in place uh, right as the three suns align. It's perfect. Uh, and now Jen goes to Kira's body. You know, he's he's all worried. Uh, but shit is falling apart around right. him. Just like, holy fuck, what the hell is happening? I thought this was supposed to be a good thing. Right. But now stuff has fallen all over the castle. But really what you can kind of tell pretty quickly is, uh, you know, the castle seems to be going down. But it's like really it's stripping like a layer of... Right. Black shit, you right. know, of evil, if you will. Something that wasn't as funny to me, but apparently the dog held on to some <laughs> something right. on the, the lava pit, uh, and it's okay. And so it's not dead, but, you know, whatever. Uh, the pod people, you know, now that the crystal has kind of been fully re-enhanced, the pod people are now, you kind of see, they no longer have, like, their white eyes and their white hair. They've kind of been reinvigorated with their life essence. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that re as the reality of the of the castle is kind of crumbling back down, kind of shedding that dark skin and the light of the crystal goes into the Skeksis and the mystics and they're all kind of getting absorbed uh, and they become these weird new creatures. And mm -hmm. like there's big, tall, kind of very, you know, majestic-y looking things that look funky. I don't really know how to explain them, but they're very, yeah. Kind of reminded me of that one character from the NeverEnding Story. The, the Sort of the guy at the at the... At the beginning? The, at the beginning. The black of the guy yeah, who the, kind of sends uh Yeah, who sends a tray on his plate. Yeah. Kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah, maybe. Like a really skinny, weird puppet version of yeah. that. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, there's these new creatures, but not really new creatures. They're the old creatures that apparently got split up mm -hmm. when the crystal cracked. Of course, they're, you know, all power for whatever. They restore life to Kira. Then they leave, and uh, the world is restored to a nice, green, lush world. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the Dark Crystal. Pretty kind of wham bam right through that. Um, I probably I'm just gonna go ahead and I'll say my piece first. Sure. Uh, I kind of ran through that pretty quickly, probably because I thought this movie was weird as shit, <laughs> and I did not like it. Um, 
I, I think the story was a, just a bit too far out there for me to try and dive into it. They had some setup with stuff, but like I didn't feel like this fantasy was grounded in really any reality, and I just I couldn't get into this fantasy world. Also, probably because I never saw this really as a kid. Yeah. Um, it just so not being able to get into that fantasy world really hurt me, which sucks because. I like fantasy just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we started with Neverending Story because that was one of my favorite movies that I right. really wanted to push. Yeah. Also, I mean, obviously, I love a lot of sci-fi. I yeah. love uh, Lord of the Rings or other things like that. Game of Thrones. But, yeah, game exactly, Game of Thrones. But not the Dark Crystal. <laughs> I am not digging this fucking crystal. So uh, uh, you're probably not going to be watching the Netflix prequel? <laughs> I had out. no idea they were making that. Yeah. Okay. Then no, I I will actively not watch that because, <laughs> yeah, unless uh, no no, there's no reason because this was stupid. This was stupid. The rest of the puppetry was fine except for the Gelflings and specifically Jen. I Jen was the worst puppet. Why would they make their worst fucking puppet the lead? I hated that. Mm. His face was like it was stale. He couldn't he barely could move it. You got you got no emotion right. from he barely he just moved his his little mouth and he just looked he looked like a terrible puppet where the mystics, even the skexies, a lot of the other stuff Agra. Yeah, definitely Agra. They felt even though they were obviously puppets, they felt More like they real. could be real yeah. creatures. The Gelfling and particularly Jen just looked flat as shit. There was no life to him. I was not impressed. If I had a nostalgia factor, it'd be one thing, but I don't. So no fucking thank you. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I, w- I will never watch this again. Never. Okay. I liked it just fine. I do have a fondness for it. I do agree with basically all of the issues that you stated. And I actually, I kind of remembered this movie being slow. Going back and watching it again, it went a little bit quicker yeah. than I remembered. The pacing was fine. The I pacing was there. fine. I don't, I don't know why I used to think it was slow, because I... It really really didn't in the grand scheme of things. I also did watch this with my kids. While I don't think my son took to it, I'm pretty sure my daughter did take to it. Because she actually has asked to watch it again. Okay. Makes sense. She's she's a big animal lover. And, yeah. You know, it kind of makes sense in this fantasy world of tons of different animals and right. silliness. I like this movie. I don't love this movie. I, there is a nostalgic fondness for it, mm-hmm. but it's. I think it has more to do with my nostalgic fondness for Jim Henson. Yeah. Um, I was much more a fan of the movie Labyrinth yeah. than than this one. Me too, which we'll get to eventually yeah. for sure. But I do remember this from when I was a kid, having probably watched it on TV or, or you know, at someone's house or something like that on VHS. So I don't dislike it, and I would watch it again, mm-hmm. probably with my kids. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I don't see my I don't see myself watching this by myself. Uh, my wife does love this movie, <laughs> so and I and I told her and I told her my feelings towards <laughs> it, and I, I just saw like a the disappointment, look, yes, in her the eyes. disappointment, and like the shock in her face, like how the fuck could you not like this movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. She gave me that same look uh, when I told her I didn't like a Christmas story. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I liked it fine. There's a, it's a much more of a nostalgia factor for me. I don't. I, it wasn't. Keep picking this one up, but it is. It's the best example of this. Uh, it's not a flight of the navigator situation where it <laughs> yeah. was. I had a fondness for it, and then it turned out to eh. be horrible. Um, it does have its problems, but I, I enjoy the characters and I enjoy the world they built. And I do intend on on checking out the new Netflix series. First of all, the technology is better, and they do they are going to be using puppets, but the technology is better. 
Yeah, I mean, it's still, it, they've uh, got Netflix money behind it, yeah, so the production is well. probably going to be better. And if the story is good, then I'll totally buy into it. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Well, I thought this movie sucked. All right, now we're going to talk Muppet Babies. This cartoon ran from 1984 to 1991 on CBS. It lasted for eight seasons, a total of 107 episodes. And as I mentioned, yes, it is uh, kind of a Jim Henson production, but not not like a puppet Jim Henson production. Mm-hmm. It's really it's more just created by Jim Henson because it's based off of his characters. Right. Um, it's it's a cartoon. Not a puppet live action show. Um, it starred uh, Greg Berg as Fozzie and Scooter. What kind of music does the man in the moon listen to? Give up? <laughs> moon rock! Waka, waka, waka! <laughs> yeah, we're playing UFO, nanny. And you might have heard Greg Berg. He did the voice of Donatello and Bebop on classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a few seasons, not all of the seasons. Mm-hmm. I've got an idea. Throw your turtle comms at the lenses. Um, he did quite a bit of other stuff. Katie Lee, uh, or Katie Lay, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but she did the voice of Rolf. Wow, I got an A in music. And uh, she's done a lot of things, uh, including things like Real Ghostbusters, My Little Ponies, just a bunch of like little voice acting parts for mm-hmm. her. Lori O'Brien did the voice of Piggy. Oh, Kermit, you're so brave. Protecting me from that monster by throwing yourself between us. Uh, similar, she just has a ton of little bit parts right. um, for what she's done. Russie Taylor did the voice of Gonzo. Oh no, he's a space germ. Cover your mouth. Uh, Russie Taylor, uh, we I don't know if we talked about Russie at all, but Russie did the voice of Huey, Dewey, and Louie in DuckTales. I wish I could scratch with him. She, uh, for me, is the voice of, she's the voice of Penny in The Critic. Thank you for the wonderful school, Uncle Duke. Uh, that little, that oh, the girl, yeah. the young girl in The Critic, which I love The Critic. We'll get to that. Um, she also has a pretty prominent voice in The Simpsons. Yeah, that's right. She plays uh, Martin Prince. Yes, that's right. She's Martin Prince. Here's a tip. Put a pinch of sage in your boots, and all day long a spicy scent is your reward. And she's also the voice, she's been the voice of Minnie Mouse since like the late 80s. Mm. Or she was for for like late 80s for a long time. Oh my, <laughs> what would Mickey think? Funny enough, she met her husband, Wayne Allwine, at a voice session, who Wayne Allwine is the voice of Mickey since the 70s until <laughs> he died. And so in real life, <laughs> Mini married Mickey, which I thought is that's awesome, adorable. Yes, it yeah. is. So very cute. And Barbara Billingsley is the voice of the nanny. Well, don't go too far into space. You got to be back on Earth in an hour to go to bed. Okay. Okay, nanny. And if that name Billingsley rings a bell, Peter B- Billingsley is the actor who played Ralphie in A Christmas Story. No, Barbara's not her, not his mother, but Barbara married Glenn Billingsley, who was. Peter Billingsley's father's cousin. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, <laughs> it was his father's brother's mother's former roommate. Uh, no, but I mean they were very loosely related. Yeah. So Peter, so Ralphie's dad's cousin's wife. That's uh, okay. Who it was. And I definitely remember uh, Barbara Billingsley as the jive lady. 
from the movie Airplane, a movie which I'm pretty sure Adam still has not seen yet. No. And I will give him endless shit until he does. Yeah. But she's most known for being June Cleaver in Leave mm-hmm. it to Beaver. That's yeah. their biggest role. And then we're getting to a couple bigger names here. Uh, Dave Coulier and eventually in Howie Mandel did the voice of Animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of like those animal fun fun sounds. Animal. Uh, you know Dave Coulier, Coulier as Uncle Joey from Full House and Howie Mandel. Uh, I know him best from Bobby's World, yep. but, you know, he's a comedian as well. Both yeah. of them were comedians. Yep. Uh, and then the man, the myth, the legend, the big voice actor himself, did the voice of Kermit, Skeeter, and Beaker. Well, frogs never did make good cowboys, even on Earth. Me, Scooter, who are you? That's Frank Welker, of course. It feels like it's been a hot minute since we've talked about Frank Welker in yeah. a in a you know an actual VO setting. Yeah, you're you're right. Like it has been. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me think. Yeah, we hadn't we hadn't had like our weekly <laughs> Frank Welker discussion in a while, but yeah. it's kind of nice to have him back on the podcast. It is it's like an old friend. <laughs> yes. So that's the voice cast. Great voice cast right yeah. there. This show it really portrays childhood versions of yeah. the Muppets. You know, from the the classic Muppets from the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, uh, everybody knows them. They're at a big, you know, they were a uh, like a, like a primetime show and a, a surprisingly popular primetime show, you know, that was based on Muppets. And in this iteration, they were living together in a nursery under the care of uh, this kind of human lady uh, just named Nanny. Mm-hmm. And you can really only really see her legs yeah. the entire time. You, you, yeah. You don't yeah. see her face at all. Yep. Pretty much the Muppets are their exact same kind of personalities as they right. as you know them, but just now in like kind of kitty form. <laughs> in like almost toddler form, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun though. And this show, the one thing that I, I liked about this show, it did something very different with uh, pretty much how it did mixed media. Like they would add in like a a lot of stock footage or right. like old, you know, footage that was in like the public domain and they would mix animation into it or, you know, cut different things, you know, uh, along with that footage. And so they kind of mixed old school live action stuff by drawing, you know, their their cartoons into them. Um, and it worked really well, mainly because the whole per- main part of the show was is really about their their imagination. And mm-hmm. it was like the Muppets imagination. And they would kind of go off into, like, different little fantasies or little, like, you know, imaginary adventures. Um, And that's where they would cut in, like, to, you know, old news footage or old stock footage or even old live-action clips from popular movies. They used things like stuff from Star Wars, stuff from uh, Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. They all, like, had used clips from things like that. I think Kermit, you know, was dressed up as Indiana Jones and had had to get away from the big ball at some point. That's kind of, like, the the one, one of the scenes I remember the most. I don't want to understate like how I do think that was a pretty cool thing that they did. You don't get that kind of stuff yeah, very often. It was very distinct mm-hmm. yeah. and definitely set the, the, the show apart. But because the central idea of pretty much each episode was like the power of their imagination, mm-hmm. you would kind of get some like classic stories. I, I saw one that was based off of like Pinocchio. You'd get like other little fairy tales mm-hmm. kind of uh, interweaved in there um, or kind of they would also integrate history lessons yeah. and stuff like that. So. Uh, I watched maybe like two episodes. Honestly, I didn't feel like I needed mm-hmm. to get like a a huge backlog <clears throat> of uh, of Muppet Babies to right. watch to kind of get the idea yeah. of the show. I actually only watched one. Okay, yeah, so that's why. But I, I kind of I don't remember it particularly well, but I have a, a good remembrance of the show because I watched it anytime it was on. I pretty much watched it. The show was produced by Jim Henson Productions, mm-hmm. but also 
Marvel Productions. And oh. so Marvel Productions did like, a, you know, they did most of the animation and yeah. whatnot. Even to the point, which I thought was awesome, Stan Lee made a cameo in the <laughs> show. I made sure to watch that episode. Um, so Stan Lee had a cameo as himself. Okay. Uh, in live action, yeah, and so they kind of integrated live action with with uh, him, and it was cute. It was it was cute. It wasn't. It was very cheesy kids. Eighties cartoons, yeah, eighties <laughs> cartoons. But you had Stan Lee making a, a, a cameo in it, right. which I thought was awesome. But I think obviously that was because of you know the Marvels uh, Marvels productions working on the show. Yeah. Did you know that there's actually a character in here that was created just for the show and does not have an adult puppet version of it? Oh, uh-uh. that's Skeeter. Oh, okay. Yeah, Skeeter's like the smart, techie kind of kid. Yeah. Yeah, kind of nerdy. Which is actually a girl. Oh. It's kind of hard to tell, actually. Skeeter, but Skeeter's, Skeeter's a girl. Skeeter's the one with the glasses? Um, who, who am I thinking of then? Yes. Okay. I think I always thought Skeeter was a, was a boy. Okay. No, Skeeter's a girl. And they added her because they, they wanted more female yeah. characters. But she's know. the only one that they don't have an adult version of. Gotcha. Okay. Because there's Scooter... Oh, maybe that's who I'm. That's who you're I'm thinking, thinking of. of Scooter. Yes, I'm thinking. So of So they Scooter. created Skeeter so that there was another girl All right. involved. No, but no, 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 no. That's who I'm thinking. I'm yes. thinking of Scooter. Okay. Yeah. I'm not that oblivious. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this show. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of going to go into rap, final wrap ups because yeah. that's this show is a very kid show. Yeah. I will say. It mostly holds up, particularly because it's all about imagination and it's got like those classic stories that I've already proven to stand the test of time. Yeah. And because it's mixing in kind of cartoon with like an old footage and we already know it's old footage. It was old footage then. Right. So it's still old footage now. Um, the voice acting definitely holds up. You know, that's that's still cute and that works well. The animation is fine. It's not bad. I don't, You know, it's older animation, but it's not poor animation by any means. Right. In my opinion. Um, this is not something I'm going to revisit. You know, I, those two, three episodes, whatever that I watched is enough for me. But this is a show I would feel 100% comfortable plopping uh, a kid in front of right. to sit and kind of like probably even they might learn a couple things here and there. You know, it's yeah. and eventually when they get older, I'll send them off to Reading Rainbow. Uh, <laughs> but for this show, I was I was pleasantly surprised yeah. by the show. Well, I mean, it falls in line with the other thing Jim Henson has done, like mm-hmm. Sesame Street yeah. and things like that. Where, you know, education and it's not it can't just be about entertainment. You know, it's edutainment. There has to be a lesson or something learned there. And that's perfectly okay uh, for a cartoon. Um, I do want to point out, though, in classic 80s cartoon fashion, I definitely remembered the theme song way more than the actual show, even after after going back to watch it. Which, you know, it's not anything special. It's just a fun little song. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't I forgot to mention that, but you're you're dead on. When I hear when I say Muppet Babies, the first thing I almost always go to is Muppet Babies. Right. Like immediately. <laughs> yeah. Because of that theme song. Yeah. Catchy song. Yeah. Uh, fun, you know, it, it like I said, it, nothing crazy about it. it. Didn't stand out too much. It was just a fun little, you know, melody to sing along to. That's all you need. That's all you yeah, need. That's yeah. all you need for an 80s theme song. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so Muppet Babies gets the thumbs up. Yeah, uh, I would totally sit there and watch it with my kids if they were interested. Uh, I, maybe my daughter might be. I think mm-hmm. my son might be a little. Yeah, he's probably past that. Past that now. But my daughter might might watch. I don't. I don't know. I didn't. Uh, I haven't like tried to download any episodes or anything okay. like that. So, all right. But overall, I'm happy, perfectly happy with the show. 
This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by Teddy Ruxpin and his pal Grubby. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned excitedly at the top, we are going to be casting a film, live-action film, version of Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, the video game, <laughs> the video game by Xbox. So, so few of our episodes. Am I most like I like our casting? Our casting portion, I think, is is as a fun thing that we do here. Yeah. But more so, you know, we we started off with like the movie, right? Uh, you know, and that's what kind of gets us going for this. This episode, I am one hundred percent most excited about <laughs> this casting because I fucking love Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a great game. Um, I definitely played the shit out of it, too. When mm-hmm. came out. It's been yes. a long time since I played it. We, but... we both played it multiple times. Like, you know, yeah. it was just one that was on constant rotation. Uh, my wife played it a lot. Actually, um, when we first kind of moved in together back when I was in college, that was a game that we, mm. that was like, this was the game that we fought over the Xbox <laughs> for, <laughs> was to, to play yeah. this. Yeah. The This game came out in 2003, uh, you know, early Xbox, which, mm-hmm. I, you know... Loved that, which I this, played through high school. This game and Halo were the yeah. two that I played the most. The original Halo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, like the and both of those are on easily in my top five games of all time. Yeah, you know maybe we'll get to a, a top ten video games. Yeah. Just, just for shits. Yeah. Um, but you know, spoiler alert, this one's gonna be on there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so these are the characters we're going to be casting: Mission Veo, Johanni, HK47, Candorus Ordo, Jolie Bindo. Karth Onassi, Bastila Shan, Malik, and Revan. I'm going to kind of defer to Adam to explain the characters because he remembers the characters. I remember, like, the whole concept of the game, uh, but he remembers yeah. the characters better. So as we go through yeah. them, he'll kind of explain whatever, each character's role uh, in the game. Um, and I want to end with Revan. By the way, uh, if you're listening to this and you've never played the game and you want to play the game, might be some spoilers. Yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's going to be there's going to be yeah, there's going to be a spoiler in here, so you might yeah. want to uh, you know, it's on mobile. Yeah. I would suggest go go play it first. Um if you don't care then if you, can, if you don't care about spoilers, listen. Um or maybe it's already been spoiled, but yeah, there's <laughs> like the biggest plot twist we'll have to talk about because yes, that's part of it. That's part of it. All right, uh, let's go ahead and start with Mission Veo. Uh, Adam, why don't you tell us about the character? Sure. Uh, Mission is a Twi'lek. Uh, she's a blue Twi'lek. She's young. She's a kid, but she doesn't like to be called a kid. She wants to be known for being, you know, oh, she's she's tough too. Uh, she's got her her best friend, Zalbar, is a Wookiee who kind of hangs around her the entire time. We didn't end up casting Zalbar because... It's a Wookiee. You're just going to get Wookiee <laughs> noises, and you need a tall person to be right. in a suit. That's it. But, yeah, Mission's kind of a spunky kid. You find her on Terrace, uh, which is the first world that you get on uh, in the game. And, uh, yeah, and so she's spunky, young, blue Twi'lek. So uh, for my spunky, young Twi'lek, uh, I went with uh, an actor, uh, sorry, an actress who's done a, a few kind of biggish things. Uh, I think her big biggest thing is probably uh, coming up. We just saw her in a, a trailer release that happened just a couple weeks ago, uh, and that was the actress Naomi Scott, who was the Pink Ranger in the recent 
Power oh. Rangers one, and is going to be playing Jasmine in the live action Aladdin movie. Okay. Okay. I figured you'd throw some, uh, see she had the right attitude, throw on some blue makeup and some head tentacles, and uh, she'd probably make a good Twilight. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah, if you did uh, Power Rangers movie, then you you probably were are used to some action, used to probably some CGI, maybe even mm-hmm. like, they might have even done some mocap stuff. I don't know. Right. Or put her in like, you know, one of those suits or something. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally cool with that. Cool. I like mine a little bit better, but <laughs> mainly because I haven't really see, I haven't seen the new Power Rangers movie, so I don't really right. know how this girl's that young actress's range is. Uh, but I know how my young actress's range is. Um, she plays a character who I think is very similar to Mission, uh, particularly early on in the show Game of Thrones, who she is like young and spunky, and she doesn't want to be a kid because she <laughs> wants to be badass and she wants right. to be a badass swordsman and she wants to be awesome. Uh, and also, in the upcoming uh, New Mutants movie, she is going to be playing Wolfsbane, and so she'll obviously be used to some kind of prosthetics uh-huh. or something like that, which I think you're going to be needed to be painted over, obviously, as a as a Twi'lek. Right. Uh, I went with Maisie Williams okay. as, as my mission. I love Maisie Williams. I will not... Uh... Cool. I have nothing to argue yeah. against that one. And both I, both solid casts. It would we'll be say. and it would be interesting to see her in something like this where mm-hmm. it requires prosthetics and it's not so obviously her. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to Jahani. Adam, why don't you tell me about Jahani? So Jahani is I can't remember what the name of her race is, but it's almost like a caddish like looking uh, face. Uh, she her homeworld was Taurus of uh, Terrace, but you don't meet her until you go to Dantooine and you join the Jedi Order and you kind of have to save her from the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is so she's a Jedi and she's kind of struggling with the good and the bad right now. And she's kind of got, again, you're going to have to have an actress probably either, it's probably not going to be a CGI character. I think it would be makeup based. Yeah. Uh, but it's almost almost caddish-like face. But it's like if a if a lizard fucked a cat, that would be <laughs> Johanny, I think. Um, pretty much. It's, I've, I always kind of thought she had lizardy looking skin. Okay. But like features-ish looking like a cat. Uh, but yeah, so she's uh, she's kind of like a, a tortured character who's struggling with the dark side within her. I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, for me, I kind of wanted to stick to that. She's, she's pretty skinny and kind of slender, uh, kind of the cat-like look. So I wanted an actress who has done CG work in her some of her other characters, but also someone who could do action. Mm-hmm. And uh, Juhani, I think, would be a pretty badass action, action person in this mm-hmm. film. I went with Alicia Vikander, who was the more recent Tomb Raider. She's okay. also in Duas Machina, mm-hmm. um, kind of where she was a, a robot. But yeah, I think she would be, you know, our more recent Tomb Raider would be a pretty damn good Jahani. Okay. I would totally believe that. Um, I, I kind of looking back at the character, kind of looked at, I don't know how tall character mm-hmm. really is. Um, kind of skinny-ish. That's just the way they draw video game characters. So yeah, a, true. That could be anyone. But you talked about... You know, uh, struggling with the darkness within, and I went with someone who played a character who struggled with the darkness in, within because she was the ancient one. I went with Tilda Swinton. Oh, interesting. I mean, because yeah, with makeup, you, this person could—you're literally gonna have pretty much anybody. Yeah, uh, anybody at any age. Yes, exactly. I mean, she could probably do. She'd make something interesting for that. She's definitely a stronger actress uh, than than my choice. She would do. She would, I think she could add some good darkness. I think to the she character. would. Yeah, she would. Uh, she would dive into that yeah. side <laughs> that someone else wouldn't as much. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. All right. Cool. All right. I'm cool I like with that. One. All right. And now we go to our droid yeah. of the casting, which is HK47. I like that game. Or I like that name. Yeah. HK47. Yeah. Almost uh, like AK47. It's right. Because 
HK is uh, kind of like an assassin droid. He is very humorous. Um, he's, I don't know, he's kind of sassy. He's very sarcastic, and he just wants to kill all humans, basically. <laughs> he's just, he's kind of funny. Um, he's know. a more deadly bender. Yeah, exactly. He's, yeah, more deadly bender. Doesn't smoke and drink like right. Bender, but, I mean, Bender, I feel, is a pretty damn good parallel <laughs> to HK-47. Shut up, baby, yeah. I know it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, honestly, I thought John DiMaggio would be an awesome <laughs> HK-47. I didn't cast him. Okay. I didn't, but I thinking about it, he would be a great choice, yeah. too. Oh, all right. uh, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in on okay. mine. This one I, was tough because it's going to be a voice. I mean, you could do motion capture, but that could be anybody. So I wanted somebody who could be a little sassy. I, you know what? I kind of wish I'd thought of John DiMaggio because mm. that, that might have been a good call. Yeah. But I'm actually happy with who I picked. Uh, I picked someone who I just saw recently in a movie, and I th- loved his performance. And my son loved his performance so much so that he asked for something for Christmas of him. And he played the voice of Spider-Ham in the, into the Spider-Verse movie, and I went with John Mulaney. Oh, yeah, he's a big comedian right now. Uh, okay, and I, and I cast him as my guy versus Threepwood. Oh, yeah, actually. you did. Yeah, he's got the kind of humor I think that would fit pretty well. Okay. Uh, and it's good to know, I, I haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse yet, so he's already got some voice acting and that kind of stuff yeah. lock, on lock, so that's solid. Yeah, cool. good choice. Um, I went with, uh, an, a, I think, pretty well-established voice actor, especially right now with two uh, of, I think, the best adult uh, cartoons going on right at this moment, especially one of my favorite shows currently, which is Bob's Burgers. He can he can play a bunch of different types. He's got a funny, his funny delivery, and in Archer in particular, he's very sarcastic and very humorous. I went with H, H. John Benjamin as my HK47. You know what, I think I like your pick better, just because I think that sort of dry delivery that he gives very dry. <laughs> would, be, yeah. would be hilarious for this character. Mm-hmm. I think I like your, your cool. I'm not going to say mine is bad, but I think yeah. yours is definitely, no, I, think, I, I think, like yours better. Cool, 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 cool. All right, so now we have Candorous Ordo. Yes, Candorous Ordo. He is a veteran of the Mandalorian Wars, which, uh, if you know anything about the Star Wars history, the Mandalorian Wars is uh, the Mandalorians have some of the most badass armor. If you know Boba Fett, he's mm-hmm. wearing a version of Mandalorian armor, um, which is just awesome. The Mandalorians always look cool, but they're basically, I don't know, they're like the Spartans yeah. of, of the Star Wars yeah. realm, if you will. Like they're all, they, all they care about is the glory of battle. <laughs> and... Uh, Candor's Ordo is a very hardened war vet. He, you you meet him on Terrace. He can he can uh, help you get off the planet. Basically, um, I'll let. Why don't you jump in with this okay. one first? We'll just kind of go back and forth in this. I'll jump on this one. Yes, Candor's Ordo. He's kind of got like a he's got like a scar on his face and kind of like a a crew cut. You know, gray hair, a little bit older, a little bit grizzled veteran. Uh-huh. And when I think of grizzled veteran with crew cuts, this guy's the fucking best. And he should have been our cable. I'm sorry. I love you, Josh <laughs> Brolin. It should have been Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang is. He he's, he looks perfect for Kander Soto, and I know I'm typecasting him because I <laughs> always put him in the same kind of stuff because because of how good he was in Avatar. I yes. want to see him do more of that kind of stuff. It's Honestly, it, I think he might have been the only yeah, really good the thing best, out, of, yeah. out of Avatar. It, it, very similar like with Christoph Waltz. I want to see him do more villains because he was so fucking good in Inglourious Bastards. Same thing with Stephen Lang. Right. He is a perfect gristled vet, and, I, and he's my Kander Soto. That's a, a great call. And actually um, – I'll kind of mention this a little bit as, as someone 
also who might fit this role. Uh, and I, you went a little bit older than I went. Okay. But as an older Grizzled vet, I think he's perfect. Uh-huh. Um, I went a little bit younger. Okay. And for some reason, this made me uh, think of uh, another person, which might have been okay for this as well. But I think I like my choice better than this. Okay. Um, because I've seen this guy wear a type of armor, very well-known type of armor, to DC fans. My choice was Manu Bennett. Oh, okay. So he was Deathstroke. Who Deathstroke and Cantor's Ordo, very similar. similar. Yeah, you take and off that helmet. Yeah, I have to say, though, I did like the way that uh, Joe Manganiello's yeah. Deathstroke looked, and I, he, he could also yeah, be there, I thought too. About- <laughs> he could also do it, too. If you played Deathstroke, you probably could also yes, play Cantor. Yeah. yeah. Now, both, both of those choices would have been good. I like. I mean, I really am a fan of Manu Bennett, yeah. um, particularly he, from his Spartan times. But as he was, I mean, that is probably the best villain of the entire Arrowverse. Yes, uh, agreed. Deathstroke. All the series. Yeah. That's the best one. And that is a perfect translation from from that <laughs> to Candorous, so yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. Cool. That's great. Actually, yeah. I'd be I'd be happy with either or, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Very, very happy. Cool. All right, and then we go to Jolie Bindo. Yes, Jolie Bindo, an older Jedi. He is very much like neutral. He thinks the he thinks the uh, Jedi Council are a bunch of dumb assholes and he thinks the Sith are a bunch of dumb assholes. Uh, <laughs> he's basically you kind of find him as like a, an old hermit right. um later on in the game. Uh but he is he's just kind of like a a fun I'm too old for this shit kind of thing. <laughs> um which I'm just going to go right into it. That's exactly why I cast the person I cast. Uh-huh. I cast Danny Glover as my Jolie Bindo mm. because 100%, you know, he's too old for this shit. <laughs> and that's that's the same 100% style that I think uh, Jolie Bindu brings. And so, yeah, I think Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon is a perfect casting. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I went with someone who I had not seen do too much lately. And I thought about him, and I was like, oh, man, I miss this guy. I really, I really want to see him do more stuff. Because I really liked his acting, especially in Lethal Weapon. Because I also went with Danny Glover. <laughs> he is—he's a perfect. Cast. I think he's a perfect cast yeah. for this. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's move on to Karth Onassi. Karth Onassi is actually your first character that you meet in the entire. Well, not really the entire game. The first reoccurring that you kind of who you'll come continue with like throughout mm-hmm. the game. Basically, um, he's uh, a Republic soldier. He's very much like I don't know, like a classic goody two shoes Republic soldier, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, he's. He's been hardened a little bit because his uh, his former mentor kind of turned on him. So now he has you know some some scars from war, if you will. And mm-hmm. he's you know he's a tough nut to crack, if you will. You know it's hard to get into the heart of Karth, if you will. Right. But he wants to do the good thing. Um, but he is a very good soldier, uh, and he's a really good character because you get you kind of get him so early that you can kind of level him up exactly how you want mm-hmm. you know a good soldier to be yeah. and that's exactly what it is. he is a he's a good soldier and that's that's kind of the gist of Carthonassi. Okay. Um I'll I'll go ahead and jump in with this one. Um I kind of went by luck mm. on this one, but I I think this this guy could work well. He's played in the Marvel universe. He's has an upcoming movie in the DC universe. And why not throw him into Star Wars? I'm not going to really build him up too much more. I actually went with Zachary Levi. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm curious about uh, when Shazam comes out, just how comical it's going to be. Right. And stuff like that. Uh, I think particularly thinking about his his Marvel stuff. Um, oh, was he Fandral? I, I think uh-huh. so. Yeah, he's got that look. Yeah, I think he could do that. Okay, cool. Karth was one of my more difficult ones to cast because there's a lot of people who I feel you could, you could fit into it. I really almost wanted to go... 
Nathan Fillion, um, just because <laughs> I had that same look, but uh, the same thought. But I thought hey, he's a little too old. He's a little too old. He's you know he needs to shed a few pounds because he needs to be a little bit more of a soldier look. Uh-huh. Um, but also, Karth is very straight. You know, and he's not he's not funny. And I I wouldn't want Nathan Fillion in a role where he couldn't where be couldn't somewhat be funny. funny. Yeah. Uh, so um, I went with uh, a different actor who I think is is a solid actor. He did not do well. When he wasn't really allowed to talk very much in the show Inhumans, but he's also been in Star Trek Discovery. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He is a good actor in his own right, uh, but yeah, he was in the Marvel Universe with with that shitty movie or the shitty show Inhumans as Black Bolt. I went with Anson Mount as my Carthonassi. I think he's got a look okay. that is pretty soldier-like. Uh, it could be as well. Yeah, totally looks. I mean, the picture I'm looking at, he's kind of like gray or hair, mm-hmm. but I he totally looks like the part. Cool. Yeah, I'd totally I'd, buy that. Either one of those would work yeah. pretty well. All right, so now we're on to Bastila Shan. Bastila is one of the more important characters in the entire game. She is kind of the catalyst for even just getting the start of the game going. She's a fairly powerful Jedi, but she's not even a Jedi Master yet. Mm-hmm. But she knows this power called Battle Meditation that has pretty much gotten the Alliance ahead of the Sith. They, they ended mm-hmm. up taking down Darth Revan. Uh, which was the whole like beginning of this game was okay. Bastila helped beat Darth Revan, which is you know mm-hmm. this whole you get this whole she's kind of been jettisoned into the starlight of Jedi verse, if you will. Right. Um, but she's kind of you know she's she is somewhat younger, she's kind of also the love interest, if you will, for for a good little while. If she could be honestly, it's, it's a role playing game, so you can take it different directions if yes. you wanted to. I always thought Bastila was cute uh, for a video <laughs> game player, so <laughs> character. So I always kind of I always made it a. Romantic kind of thing, but that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you go ahead and jump in on this one? The way I see Bastila is she's young. She has kind of got a little bit of a big head. Uh, she is very talented, but you know she kind of lets people know <laughs> that you know she's talented. Right. And to me, it reminded me a lot of this line from Harry Potter: "It's not Leviosa, it's Leviosa." <laughs> and I thought honestly, Emma Watson <laughs> and Hermione was. Really, a really good, perfect fit for Bastila Sean. Okay. So I put, yeah, Emma Watson. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because uh, that's not really, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it's fantasy and Harry Potter, but it's not that much action. It would mm-hmm. be nice to see her, you know, yeah. have, having to kick ass. Yeah, and she, I think something. she could be kick ass. I, uh, I, looking back on it, I think I might have cast a little older than I should have. Okay. But. Judy Dench. <laughs> God. Dude, put a put a lightsaber in Judy Dench's hand. I am there. Yeah, that, that I am awesome. there with bells on. Damn. I've been really trying, baby. Uh, no, but I went with uh, an actress who uh, recently played a badass in the Marvel universe uh, and is going to be playing a badass in another movie that's based on a Marvel comic, even though it's not technically in the universe. Uh, and she's on one of my favorite shows, which is Westworld. And I went with Tessa Thompson. Oh, okay. Who was the Valkyrie. She's in everything right she now. She is in everything Holy right shit. now. shit. I mean, I she's, like her. She's going to be in the the next uh, uh, Men in Black, yeah. Men in Black International, with Chris Hemsworth, oddly yeah, enough. Exactly. Yeah, I did think that was kind of strange. I was like, oh, wait, we got Thor and Valkyrie together <laughs> again. Together again. Fighting aliens, like they always do. Uh, yeah, no, she, she. I don't know. I like her. I, I didn't love her in Westworld. Um, she's okay in Westworld. She's, I, she's fine in Thor Ragnarok. You know, as her yeah. drunk character. Right. She's uh, funny, but she is a good actress. She's obviously she's doing tons of stuff because she's a good actress. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think that actually, honestly, I think that fits really well. And okay. because I see her in everything, <laughs> they probably would just cast her right <laughs> in this spot. So yeah, no, Ted Thompson's a good call. Cool. Yeah. And now we're going to do kind of our main antagonist. Yeah, throughout the Malik. game. Yeah, Darth Malik. He's got a solid look to him. He's kind of got a shaved head with kind of like he looks. He, he looks like he looks like a young Darth Vader without the top of the helmet. Yeah, he's got like this um, sort this of mouth mask. Mouth mask that's kind of like obviously part droid or not part droid, but he's got some vocal enhancement or whatever. Right. Um, as 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 you do as a Sith. Yes. You know, when you start to lose your body parts. Yeah. Uh, and he is he is badass. He's definitely the main character that you're you're going after this entire time. Yeah, he's cool. He's just he's he's a he's a cool Sith. He's not as cool as some other Sith that we right. might talk about even in this episode. Uh, <laughs> but he is he's still badass. Cool. So uh, I went. I had a, a little bit of a hard time with this one because you, you know if you're going for a, a somewhat uh, truthful rendition and somebody who's got to be able to pull off a bald look. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. In, the rest of it doesn't matter because they're going to be kind of like painted that Sith white color that they they kind of turn. Mm-hmm. If and even if you choose to go didn't go that route, I went with someone who I don't know if I've ever seen them really do a villain role, but I really like the attitude that they bring on one particular show. He's best known to my children as the voice of Cyborg on Teen Titans Go, and to everyone else, he's King Ezekiel in The Walking Dead, the badass uh, ruler of the kingdom who used to have a tiger. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, and I went with uh, Kari Payton. He looks good bald. Oh, okay, I've seen pictures of this guy. He's got big old dreads in Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gave up on Walking Dead uh, when it had like that big cliffhanger, like when Negan appeared and had the huge cliffhanger, I just was like, all right, fine, fuck this show. If you're gonna treat me like that and not <laughs> let me know, then fuck you. Um, and so I gave up on it. But I have seen pictures of this guy. Yeah, the picture of him with the tiger. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, he would look cool. So is he a villain in Walking Dead or no? No, no. Okay, he's no. a good guy. He's a good guy. But I'm sure he could probably play that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's got a good sort of thundering presence, especially when you first meet the character. Okay. He has this big over-the-top presence. Okay. Nice. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be solid. That was a good choice. I went with an actor who I don't think I've actually seen bald before, but he is a good actor, and he's got a good voice. And, and for Malik, you, gotta, you know, all Sith, you have yeah. to have a good voice. Yeah. And uh, this guy, he had a podcast. He did the voice of... Uh, Wolverine on a podcast, you know, on a Marvel, on a first, like, official Marvel podcast. Right. He might be better known as Thor and Oakenshield uh, in the more recent Hobbit movies. Right. I would like to see him do a villain role as well, something something yeah. different for him. And I know he's got the range, and I know he's got a good voice that I think, you know, they could modify a little bit and sound pretty fucking sinister. So I right. went with uh, Richard Armitage. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a that's a solid pick. I'd like to see that, too. Mm-hmm. If they could make him, if they could make him look right for the part. I, I think he could totally pull off the attitude and everything yeah. else that would be needed for that. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely so. yeah, the look that I was trying to figure out the most. Yes. So now for our, our interesting casting, and, yeah. and we'll kind of explain why, uh, and that's Revan. Darth Revan. Uh, he is known as one of the most powerful Sith of his time. He was... Is it a he? Is or it a he? It could be anything. You're it, right. Could it be a she? It, <laughs> very true. Because Revan is your main character in the game mm-hmm. and you can it's a role playing game that you can set anything you can be yeah. anybody you know whatever you want to play as is what this character will be and this character big big spoiler here three fourths or close to the end of the game you find out 
you were Darth Revan and your mind was wiped mm-hmm. and the Jedi Order kind of rewiped you trying to think, well, maybe we can use him to figure out or use Revan to figure out this, this whole backstory of the Star Forge and how the Sith became so powerful so quickly right. and whatnot. But yeah, as John points out, it can be absolutely any cast casting you want. And this, right. is, this is what makes this one pretty interesting. I think in official Star Wars canon, quote unquote, actually it's probably not even canon, but in, in like the Star Wars lore, it ends up being a white guy. It's always <laughs> a fucking white guy but in the game you can be anything you want and i think that's that's the what john and i i think probably cling to that we could put anybody in this casting which also it made it so difficult yeah it made it hard yeah i'm gonna go ahead and do this one first okay uh just so i can let you kind of have the last word on this one Uh, again this one was very hard i struggled between wanting to do you know if i'm casting a movie do i want it to be a big name or do I want it to be a little bit of a lesser known? I mean, if I was going in true Star Wars fashion, I would find a com- almost like almost complete unknown or very little known. But I didn't want to go that unknown. Um, so I did kind of skew towards someone who might be lesser known. Unless you were a fan of the uh, Marvel Netflix series, then you would probably know who this person is. And I actually went with Jessica Henwick, who was Colleen Wing oh, yeah. in uh, Iron Fist. Okay. That's that's gonna be my Revan. She's yep. a little bit maybe younger because I also struggle because knowing that Revan was a a Darth, but the twist needed to you know you needed to it needed to be all not. I didn't want to sort of advertise the twist okay. with the character, so I I decided to go with a, a lesser known lesser known actress, and I want to see you know I want to see her in more things. Yeah, and so I thought this would be a good transition out of Colleen Wing into drop her sword mm-hmm. and pick up. A lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So that's my Revan. Uh, I think that's a solid fucking choice, mainly because I want to see her in more things. Yeah. She was maybe the only good thing about the <laughs> Iron Man series. Iron Fist. I, sorry, the Iron Fist series. I didn't even watch the second season, and I'm, it, a, I'm a Marvel fucking fan. Yeah. And I, I will say the second season was better. That's what I heard. So, like, eventually maybe I'll get to it. Yeah. But I am definitely disappointed that, you know, Netflix killed off pretty much that entire, all of that yeah. series. At this they, point, they're just... They're just finishing off finishing their, off whatever yeah, they've already. They've, they've got a Punisher that they're put out, and that's about it. I think, yeah. um, which I love the season one of Punisher. I, yeah, I fucking like it. To me, it's up there with like season one of Daredevil almost. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I very much appreciate that casting because I do want to see her in more shit. Mm-hmm. So very cool, cool, very cool. For me, Darth Revan is yeah, he's it's your main character. It's someone who's going to be driving this movie. And if I want to cast someone who's driving this movie, it's going to be a name, but it's also going to be someone who I specifically want to see in more things. Mm-hmm. I picked an actor who I want to see in everything. I've already <laughs> cast him multiple times, but I've cast him multiple times because I fucking love him and I want him to be in everything. I went with Michael B. Jordan, okay. who in particular has a great range where he can be a hero with Creed or with anything. He can be a great villain like Killmonger. Right. And in Revan, you can go anywhere and you might need to go everywhere with your type of cast. Right. And he's so hot right now and he's also hot uh, but like he is one of like the top go-to actors yeah so i think uh, he would be a great call for my darth revan yeah he totally would be a great yeah. call for darth revan so yeah i can uh, i can't there's obviously you know in a cast where it can literally be anyone you want yeah um i can't find any fault and and wouldn't try to any fault with michael b jordan yeah so many people though could get into this spot and that's true i mean it could be a lot of people but i would be fun to watch him in this role it would be fun and we didn't we didn't talk about the look of darth revan which darth revan as a darth uh is very you have this badass 
like Sith mask mm-hmm. covering the entire face with like a whole you know Sith robe with the hood up. Right. Like Darth Revan, I think, is one of the best looking Sith villains. It just it, even though it's as simple as like some armor, like a, a, right. a cape with a with a hood on it and this cool mask. I, I think they really took a lot of Kylo Ren's look uh-huh. and kind of was inspired by Darth Revan, I feel, a okay. little bit. But I believe that. But I think Darth Revan's mask is even cooler, personally. <laughs> so that's some good-ass castings, John. Nice. I, I would watch either of those movies. I'd be very happy with, you know, either Darth Revan. Pretty much anybody, I thought, was a, was a good, solid pick. Uh, and we got, you know, we got our Danny Glover together. So, hey, <laughs> we got, we got a, it's, it's always kind of fun when we have a similar yeah. casting. Cool. So. And that was our casting for a Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic movie. Please join us next time for a top 10 episode. We do our top 10 favorite grunge songs and we cast a fantasy dream grunge band. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.